Hey, movie lovers, welcome back for another Anatomy of Movie here at Popcorn Talk. Today, we dissect the follow-up to Fantastic Beasts. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, grab your wand, because we are entering the magical wizarding world of J.K. Rowling. I have Marissa Serafini here. Hello, everyone. I'm Phil Svitek. Missing in action today is Dimitri Panos. He will be back for the third installment, I presume. <laughs> I hope so. couple of things. First off, if you're watching us, then you, all, you will notice we are in a different studio today. If you are listening to us, perhaps we might sound a little bit different because we're in a different <laughs> studio today. That's because we're taping on a different day. We are entering the holiday season of 2018. There is a gluttony of movies out there, and we are trying very hard to cover them all. And so our schedule will be all out of whack in service of you, the fan. Definitely out of whack, man. It's, it's an embarrassment of riches and such a first world problem that we have that we have to go see movies. And talk about them. <laughs> yeah. Of course. So we decided, you know, with, with Thanksgiving right around the corner, we got to cover those movies. But we didn't want to. We will be out of town. So we're doing this one. Anyway, the point is just, just keep checking back in and... There's lots of movies for you. Now, if you're joining us for the very first time, you might be slightly confused. Well, let me backtrack. What we do is we review movies, yes, but we also talk about the storylines and go really, really deep, of course, with a movie like this. We're going to talk about the theories and so forth. So as you can imagine, just based on that description, it is spoiler-filled, so you have been warned right here, right now. But in addition to that, we also talk about the making of, the how and the why, culminating, of course, into the box office, and especially with a movie... In the Harry Potter-esque universe, numbers are important, you know? Yeah, for sure. When you got billions and billions of dollars on the line. And an already established fan base, yes. Absolutely. So we will talk about all that good stuff. And thirdly, if you want to follow along with us, we do have a rundown for you. It's in our description box. It's a little PDF. You just click on it, and it has all the various information that sometimes, admittedly, we might not always get to. You know, we talk for a lot. But we talk for a lot more if we went through every fine detail we found. So without further ado, where we normally begin is with our overall impressions. So, Marissa, Fantastic Beasts, number two. <laughs> number two. Well, for those who have followed our anatomies over all these years, you know I'm a big fan of Harry Potter. Just of the Harry Potter universe, the characters and all that. So I was excited to go see this, knowing that you know it was going to be fun. It's going to be adventurous. I did not know it was going to be as confusing and, and as convoluted as it turned out to be for this one. Not realizing, and I should have known, that J.K. Rowling was the screenwriter for this particular film. She's an excellent storyteller. She's an excellent character builder and a, an author of building of a universe, essentially. I mean, obviously, she created Harry Potter. Um, storytelling in a condensed version, maybe not so much. Um, and but she's so brilliant. That's her problem. She's so brilliant, and I understand she wants to cram so much into it, but it kind of does a disservice to what we need to focus on in the film. So watching it, while visually and VFX-wise, fun, exciting, enjoyable. I saw it in IMAX, so whew, explosions everywhere. But story-wise, very confusing. So I'm I'm really split with this film. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily disagree. Like, I would like to think of myself as a certainly an average Harry Potter fan. I've seen the movies, I've read the books. I'm a, I'm not exploring the Potter universe and and reading every fine detail combing through it, but I'm familiar. And I had the I I, I had a I had trouble with the movie as far as everything. I think when you're dealing with Marvel and now movies like this that just culminate for so many movies ultimately i think you gotta have a previously on at the beginning of the movie yeah because it's one thing to say that you have to have seen fantastic beasts but i feel like that wasn't enough you have to have seen all the harry potter movies and not just that there's things that are from the books that aren't from the movies that are being pulled into to question and so forth there's just a lot and i agree i think whereas the harry potter movies originally were they were there were books written by J.K. that were adapted by someone else. This is now being directly written 
by J.K. Rowling as a screenplay. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I, I think if someone else took her ideas and pared them down a little bit, it would mm. work. Condense them for sure. Yeah, I mean, yes. you know, um, one of my biggest questions. So let's, we'll not, like I said, we'll dive into the story and then we'll sort of backtrack and talk about the how and the why of how things got made. So. One of my biggest question is, this story is about Newt. Newt, for all intents and purposes, really seems not that much significant. Like a side character. He's yeah. the one that's going places, and in a way, he's like the main thread to everybody. But the stories are not about him. He, he's much more. He's more of an observant to all of this. Right, we're, we're witnessing it and living vicariously through him, or so. Now, granted, yes, you could say, oh well, Dumbledore, Dumbledore tells him to go to Paris, tells him to do these things, but it's he doesn't have as an active role like Harry. And the, if, if we spent time not on Harry, it really was like a very big departure from the movies. Mm-hmm. Or if anything, we spent them with Ron and Hermione, you know, to a lesser extent. But it was the focus was always on Harry. So if this is Newt's story overall, then let it be that. But it, it seems like kind of Dumbledore and Grindelwald are really overtaking that mantle. Right. And it's not really about Newt. He's the one that, in a sense, gets everybody started. Um, but, I mean, look at the poster, if, you, if you're if you listening on iTunes and what have you. The, the picture is we, we see Newt and, and Dumbledore, but you don't see Grindelwald, even though the name is Grindelwald. So we know that this movie is more focused on the villain, not Newt. It's a completely different story. Yes, yes. And I want to ask you about this. Even... Um, I should have perhaps done a better job, but but uh, I did watch a lot of videos recapping the initial Fantastic Beasts. And just even from that movie to this movie, there seems to be a lot of inconsistencies. Then when you factor in all the rest of the Potterverse, the Wizarding World, I'll call it the Wizarding World since the that's Wizarding our official World. production company now. Yeah. Not mine, but JK's. Mm-hmm. Uh, there seem to be a lot of inconsistencies and unnecessarily like there's things that are being shoehorned i'll give a small example professor mcgonagall she did not need to be in this movie i get that it's fan service but it's fan service in lieu of messing up a timeline and adding more questions than than anything else i think you and i watched the same video um yeah and i think that's this just a call out for the the two fans who really would get a kick out of a cameo but it does a disservice to what you already have established with characters just for, like, an appearance um, where it messes up not only just timelines but family trees as well. Now, I mean, McGonagall, more of her things is a storyline, but when we bring in other characters, we're messing up with family trees. Yeah, for clarity, uh, McGonagall appears in the movie eight years before she's supposed to be born. Mm-hmm. Now, there, there's people out there that say, oh, well, it's not the Professor McGonagall. Guess what? It's the Bill script, Minerva. <laughs> yes, and the script is out. And I have fact-checked the script. It literally says her first name and her last name. And in, what it puts in front of it? Young. So that is a young Professor McGonagall. Yep, young Minerva McGonagall. Eight years before she's born. How do you explain that one? Maybe she's such a good professor that she has the time travel thing that she goes back in time to teach in an earlier decade. But why? I don't know. Maybe she had, uh, like, she drank a potion that kept her young. Who knows? Uh, I mean, it's magic. But uh, that, I don't think they were thinking of timelines. I think they're like, oh, this would be a good callback for people to enjoy. But what <laughs> I, good does it do them? I guess. Well, Nothing. let's talk about. I know we're uh, – let's start with the biggest mystery of all, right? The mm-hmm. Dumbledore family tree. Yes. And this is where things really get complex because Rita Skeeter, as I'm sure you remember, mm-hmm. she's quite the journalist. 
Yep. She will dig up dirt. And the fact that we didn't know about this brother to begin with is a big issue. Yeah. Yeah. And also, because this brother is so far removed, the, the end question is... Are they really blood related? Where the whole mystery and the like, the running theme throughout this movie is pure bloods are running the world, and we don't know if this Aurelius is actually pure blood, is actually blood relative to Albus. Well, some say there's theories out there that um, that he's not his actual brother and. That he is related to Dumbledore, but he's not his actual brother, and that's the lie that Grindelwald says. So he's giving a half lie, um, because in, in in that way, it still fact checks him having the Phoenix come to his aid because Dumbledores get a Phoenix. Yeah. Um, here's a dark theory. Let me know if you agree or disagree. It's not mine. I, I wish I knew uh, who I could give credit to for this, but I read it somewhere that said that it is. The sister's son. Now Is here's Ariana? how Ariana's kid. Now here's how this works. Um, the fact that they had Lita, um, that her father be into these weird spells and kind of take advantage of women, they're hinting at something like that with Ariana having conceived Credence, and then magically appear on this Titanic esque ship along with. Um, Lita's brother, which in itself already seems very convoluted that, that two very important children are on this ship that sinks. That's doomed. Yeah. Anyway, so I don't know. Like, that, that's the biggest mystery. Like, where does this go? Um, I, I, so, do you, A, do you agree with that theory? Let's start there. Um, I think it's a good theory because it would still, if Aurelius is Ariana's son... It would technically make him blood relative and also a Dumbledore. Um, but again, it's too complicated because there's also other theories that Credence, a.k.a. Aurelius, is the is part of a Horcrux obscurial that was originally Ari- Ariana's obscurial. Yeah. So those are the two competing well, more like two opposing theories against each other. So it's whatever one you want to believe. Yeah, I mean, the the biggest the biggest thing that hinders this from actually being true is less about, okay, the fact that Rita Skeeter didn't know this or, like, we didn't know this. It's, again, a timeline issue. The siblings, Albus, is way older than this kid. Mm-hmm. The parents were dead far sooner. Like, this kid would have to be in his late 20s Early or mid thirties, yeah. To 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 be anywhere like within the realm of timeline, right? And it, yeah, it's confusing because he'd have to be at least ten years older because the last film, with and like this movie picks up like six months, pretty six much. months, like really close to the last film. And Credence in the first one is clearly a teenager, so he has to be at least ten plus years older just for it to like be feasible. Yeah. And Ezra Miller, when he did the promotion for the first one, he, he very clearly stated, like, Credence is 18-esque. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <sighs> um, My mind hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we're just getting started. I know, I know. Um, this, this movie just, just packs a lot. I mean, it's, I, a, no. it's a lot of good questions. You, you do have to ask. Like, I think J.K. Rowling does a great good job of setting up a mystery but not fully completing everything just yet in the second film like can i get it they they want to go for a trilogy they they're probably a third sure. one where more answers are will probably will get but i mean there's they just threw out too many questions for us and yet nothing was really resolved well even that like the the first one was very much a setup and then this one so th- think of it this way, right? Grindelwald was not concerned with Credence whatsoever in the first one. Now, granted, you could say that now that he knows um, – how the hell do you I, – I, I, for the life <laughs> of me, I can't say op- – Obscurus. Uh, yeah. Obscurus. I apologize. It's not – Obscurious, obscurial, yeah, obscurious. 
Anywho, the point being that, yeah, you could argue that as soon as Grindelwald found out that Credence had an Obscurus, that that he would become interested in him. But then he seemed to all of a sudden know everything about Credence. How did he learn this? From prison talk? Maybe. Um, also, the the whole mystery of the first movie was that no one knew that Credence was the Obscurus. And so once they finally revealed that, it was a person behind it. It's like, oh, yeah, now I know you. Um it, it's just question. Uh, this is why I still think maybe another theory that Grindelwald is just lying to Credence because Credence's whole mystery is like, who am I? Who am I? I don't know where I come from. So basically, he, it's not to say he's whitewashed, but Grindelwald can use him and kind of gaslight him just a little bit just because Credence doesn't really know his background. So Grindelwald could like tell any lie and he'll believe it. So if he's telling. Aurelius, quote-unquote, that he's a Dumbledore, he's going to believe it. So this is also why I think it's still a lie. Well, to add to that notion of that it's a lie, remember, he may, uh, Grindelwald makes a very specific, deliberate attempt to kill um, the nanny or whatever it is who would know the real truth. Mm-hmm. And so you, in essence... If you've killed off the one person that knows, then you can make up whatever you want because who's going to fact check that? We are. But <laughs> we are. But also, the if he, if Grindelwald is telling a lie to Credence slash Aurelius, this is going to get real old real quick. Um, that he could really just be using Credence just to get to Dumbledore. Well, so let's let's talk about that, right? Um, as the movie reveals itself, we know that. The reason Dumbledore has been hesitant and the reason Grindelwald needs someone else to destroy Dumbledore is because they have this blood pact and they cannot go after each other. So magic forbids it. Yeah, they have a an actual agreement to never fight each other. But Albus, being smart because he knows he has the pact, he's using other people to fight Grindelwald, essentially for him and do his bidding. Yeah, which... Which, I mean, that's not to say cowardly, but I get it. <laughs> um, you know, from a, I, 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 from a movie perspective, I understand why he doesn't reveal it, because it's supposed to be this, like, aha moment. But you would think, at least to Newt, he would kind of say something. I know he likes to play, Dumbledore plays his cards to his chest. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I feel like, motivationally speaking, though, like, to Newt, it's something that he would reveal. Rather than Newt having to find out. All right, yeah, at least Dumbledore being honest, but not and, and not ominous and mysterious. Is like, can you do something for me? But this is the real reason why I want you to do this. Yeah, because I I wish I could, but I can't myself. Mm-hmm. Um, Just needs to be more direct. <laughs> yeah, and let me ask you this: um, There's there for for a long time since Harry Potter. There's been a lot of talk let's say about Dumbledore being being um, being more than just a friend to Grindelwald let's just say oh yeah no JK Rowling has said that Dumbledore is gay and they were in a relationship it's Grindelwald and Dumbledore uh, and yet it's still sexuals and yet it's still not explicit in this in any like we get kind of very glimpses of it, and if you know that part of it, like what's interesting is we know it because J.K. Rowling has tweeted about it or so forth, but we don't know it from just the source material itself. No, uh, and that's where I have. I, if I have a problem with anything, is that a lot of this, in order to be made sense of, has to be pieced together from every part of the universe. Yeah, and then a lot of different facts that bring it all together. And you have to remember, when J.K. Rowling actually wrote these characters back in years ago, 80s and 90s. Um, Not 80s, and, 90s. And, and, and early 2000s, because like, she was writing throughout. Uh, the, like Times were different. Homosexuality and, and being gay was completely... I mean, it's still... There is, it's more acceptable now. But back, back then, it's so taboo. And and so it, I can understand J.K.'s hesitation to, in why it took her all these years to say that Dumbledore is gay, um, and to have 
to have gay characters in this story and like in this universe and now even go with the the written timeline and just that they're in 1927 take it back even more decades completely Mm. taboo yeah but it's not that it's not that dumbledore has to come out to anyone else but just the moments that they chose to show um with dumbledore and grindelwald early on like you know I think they could have taken it just slightly further. And I don't know. I'm not saying it had to, but but it's just interesting for someone as bold as J.K. Rowling, you know, if you're, if you're going to commit to that, then just fully commit to it is, is all I'm mm-hmm. saying. Because I think then, then it makes, as a fan, if you know this fact, then it makes, there's an understanding of why he can't go after it. Sure, there's the blood pact, but even if there wasn't, I don't know if Dumbledore would want to because it's like, okay, I... It's the same it's reason. Personal. <laughs> exactly, and, and Dumbledore, in essence, fears power, and this is this is playing with power and love at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it just crosses the boundary of two things. It makes it very complicated the relationship for sure. Best show. Um, all right, and what you know, as far as kind of what we've been talking about, credence, the fact that. I wonder if Dumbledore has any clue that he does have, whether a brother or any other distant relative. I I don't think so, because, well, I don't think he knows, because Albus, seemingly one of the more all-knowing wizards out there, he doesn't realize who Credence is. And and it's just really confusing, because this is why I still think Grindelwald is lying, because... It would make more sense if it was just a lie. I think it's a half lie, though. It could I, be half lie. I think it's. I think it's that. I don't know. I don't think there's a full truth in what Grindelwald is telling Credence. Yeah, I think he added the brother bit to further entice Credence to, because he wants he, he wants to ultimately take down Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. Um. So one of the thing, one of the interesting things that I thought would be fun to talk about the differences between Grindelwald and Voldemort because as nasty as both are what's interesting is that they tie Grindelwald's motivation uh, because he doesn't want to he he doesn't want things to happen specifically World War II because of humanity humanity Mm -hmm. is out to kill themselves they are not right and if we don't if and if wizards don't take control of both worlds and showcase their superiority then the world will go to shit as we know it. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting. Uh, Grindelwald, he definitely, like, it's the means in which he approaches things. He understands that another world war is happening and there's destruction and whatnot. But so he wants to, you know, be proactive and stop it while he can. Um, And I think the difference with Voldemort is that he wanted to build followers just to keep him in power. And well, he also wanted to basically kill off all the and, muggles and, and nomads. Kill off muggles, like in in that sense. But it Voldemort's. I, I just reading the source material and seeing the previous films. Voldemort is way more sociopathic. Mm-hmm. Way more sociopathic. And it's like yes, he had a, a troubled life growing up as well. You know, being an orphan, all that. But. You can tell when he was doing things and there was darkness, like dark activities, especially when it came to the horcruxes and like splitting his soul. Everything he did, he did it emotionally, stoic, completely sociopathic. He didn't have any emotions and didn't feel like any ramifications in in that sense for any action, bad action he was doing. Grindelwald can. And that's why I think like Grindelwald has more humanity in him than Voldemort does. There's what I feel is the difference between those two. Yeah, what's interesting, though, is that Grindelwald, there's moments where I'm like, oh, he has compassion, but he, he gets rid of his chup- chupacabra, whom I thought he loved, um, and then he kills off the, the kid who, who who's, let's say, three years old. Now, he doesn't do it personally. Mm-hmm. For some, He has, I don't know, there's moments where he has trouble facing some But of he the also horrors. doesn't bat an eye. Voldemort... I mean, he tried killing Harry Potter but with no hesitation. Yeah. And Grindelwald let someone else do it. Grindelwald can't. And that's why I say Voldemort is still is way more sociopathic. He's more merciless 
than Grindelwald is. Yeah, and Grindelwald's slogan is for the greater good. Mm-hmm. So whether or not you, I and I do think it is an interesting element to bring into it, kind of where you have this dual morality, and yet I'm somewhat conflicted because I thought it was a very smart play to have Newt very early on say like I don't choose sides. And by the end, he chooses a side. Because I think they were going with, like, a th- I thought they were going with a third option. The, the same way he tells Tina that, you know, you represent, like, a third type of aura, um, you know, different way of thinking. And she says, who else talks like that? And he's like, I think just me. I, And the fact that, in essence, Newt uh, succumbs to everyone else's way of thinking of that there's only one, two sides and you have to pick one of them. Um, I, I felt sort of let down. Mm, I can understand that. And I, I always saw that Newt was, for the most part, he tried his hardest to be um, Switzerland, essentially, to be neutral on both sides, not really pick. Because he, he is his own being. He beats to his own drum. Um, kind of an outsider in that sense, not to say like a, an outcast, but he likes being himself. Because mm-hmm. that's his personality. And he doesn't fit with a lot of people. We see that. So I think he, he's always trying to be neutral. But when he sees what Grindelwald can do, and he sees how it affected some of the people that he has grown to like, you know, connect with and create bonds with, um, he realizes what's wrong. Therefore, he was led to choose a side. Yeah, for sure. And that's... I feel like part of the movie, what what just made it a little bit convoluted is that we just kept going from one thing to the one thing to the one thing. So once we got to the ending, where we, you know, we in essence find out we have a confession from Lita Lestrange, mm-hmm. and then we go into essentially this giant meeting of the minds led by Grindelwald. When he makes that fire, um, my problem with it is. I understand it's magic and anything can happen, but I, I need to understand kind of the circumstances of, okay, what, what spell is he casting? Like, what, what, what is the magic of this? And, and you kind of get it a little bit as time goes by that, that anyone who's true, a true follower of his can enter the flames. But if you're not, even if you say, if, even if you lie on the outside of like, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you, but if your heart's not in it, then you burn up. Then you die. <laughs> um. But then things kept changing and so forth. Like, there's just too many added elements to it um, that I wasn't understanding. It was convoluted. I think it was interesting to show us visually who's really on his side and who's not and who truly believes in his his ways and methods. Um, Sad, but eventually we had to make the split between, like, sides. Uh, Visually cool, um, but also interesting why they chose blue. And Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but, like, I'm just thinking, when you see Voldemort cast anything, it's always green. Green's like the representation of evil. Evil's like, it's always green. And so it makes it different that Grindelwald, because they chose such a different color, like, is he truly evil? Mm-hmm. Um, I just have to question his moral sense um, because I, I feel it would have been like more of an ominous color other than a pretty color, you mm-hmm. know? Um, visually, it was cool. but and And the purpose of it, was neat. Also, destruction of how terrible it could be. Um, I just, I, as a viewer, um, I wondered why they chose with blue. Yeah, not that I'm upset by it, but speaking of Newt and kind of this third possible side, it would have been interesting if he entered the flames. I don't know what would have happened, but if he was able to, like, cross over and, like, what that would mean. Mm-hmm. Just say it. That would have been cool. I uh, Well, I don't think... Newt would be on Grindelwald's side, so he probably would have burned up, and then we wouldn't have a third movie with Newt. <laughs> yeah, but again, because I think Newt, Newt to me, is supposed to represent a, a third side, a third option. And, the, and because of that, it's almost like a Venn diagram. He's able to cross into both. Both. I don't know. I, I, anyway, it didn't happen, Maybe so we don't need to discuss Maybe he'd just come away with, it. like, second-degree burns, but he'd still be alive. <laughs> um... I don't want to take it off too track, but I was just reminded in that moment, Lita Lestrange tells them, I love you. Who is she telling that to? 
Oh, I, the I, question of the night. I definitely think it was new. Ooh, <laughs> new. scandalous! Yeah, I was like, there was no chemistry between her and Theseus. But Theseus was ahead of new. Yeah, you know what I mean visually. So he was much bigger in the frame. Mm, yeah, but if you remember the the cinematography, they cut to Newt first, and then they pull out, and they also show that Theseus was right next to him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, nah, she was talking to Newt. The question of the decade, mm-hmm. and we'll never get an answer because she's dead. Well, I also think it's definitely Newt because we saw her whole flashback story when she was at that the um, school, and she saw the desk and her her memories of young Newt and all that. So I was like, she she definitely has. Still has feelings for him. Yeah, which is again seems like a very contrived storyline for me. Simply because I understand women can move on, and, and sometimes like if the guy, it can go both ways, right? It can be a guy or a girl depending on the story. But in this case, it's a girl. So if the guy's not reciprocating love, she'll move on. Now, you know, she might not love the guy she's with fully, but the fact that it's her is his brother. It's just an added layer, and and at no point, we, I don't necessarily need a flashback, but the, but there was no, apart from one kiss, nothing indicated that they were in fact in love. No. So, but yeah. there's, I think they're they're just going off. Of, there's history. There's old feelings. An old flame was rekindled. No, I'm talking. I'm talking about Theseus. Oh, Theseus. Like, they, no. what, what is the indication that Theseus is in love? Yeah, like I can understand him being in love with her, but her yeah, being her, lover. yeah, no, yeah, he he's reaching. <laughs> maybe maybe that was the case that he just was so persistent that eventually she was like, "Fine, I'll marry you." Yeah, I think it was more so a relationship of convenience. Yeah. As terrible as that sounds, but there was no chemistry between Theseus and Leda, and that's why the throughout the whole movie, I'm like, "Why are you two together? This is so pointless." It's frustrating because well, we know it should have been Newt and Lita. Well, may- maybe that's why she keeps trying to invite him to dinner. I know. She's like, come on over. We'll be with your brother. She but... wants it. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Yeah, she definitely said that to Newt. Just saying. So I'll agree with you in that respect. Um, but let's, let's also, since we're on the subject of Lita, let's talk about her. She has a dark history, right? She's, mm-hmm. she's a little strange. Which uh, we know, we know their history. If you forward in time to the Harry Potter, to Bellatrix, yeah. yep, crazy. Uh, Sirius's black cousin. Yes. Yes. Um, so anyway, but but she's kind of like like with everyone else grappling between good and bad and where she should lie. Like I think I think that's that's very much a big part of this movie is choose a side. Hmm. Um. And. What's strange is that obviously she has moments of goodness, but then you hear the backstory, and to be honest, it's rather strange to hear her say, like, I just want a moment's peace because the kid essentially wouldn't stop crying. Right. And, like, you can't blame her. She's a teenager. She's young. She's stupid. Um, But she's also a teenager. And, like, and I get it, it was an inadvertent mistake. And we saw that. Like, she just put the child down. It got switched during all the commotion. No one's thinking straight. So, like, I don't fully blame her. It's not like she put the baby in and be like, I'm going to take this one instead. No. Um, it was just a moment of unfortunate events that all happened, which she's trying to make up for it and try to redeem herself all these years. I'm glad she feels bad about it because if she didn't, then, shoot, then she's also has issues but so long she brought it up and and i i like how they brought this backstory so now we have a better understanding where she comes from well two things number one just not really to do with much but i just feel like there's got to be a magical spell for everything and there's got to be a magical spell to shut a kid up Mm -hmm. just saying number two uh more important of the story the a lot of people are pointing to the interaction with Lita and Dumbledore and the fact that she's talking about her brother. He's, of course, talking about his sister. But but, but the fact that they have that relationship in the way the brother, brother part of, her, of Lita's line looms in the air before Dumbledore responds, some people are pointing to that, that Dumbledore knows he has a second brother, a.k.a. Credence. A.k.a. Credence. I don't know. That's just... 
I, whether or not it's right, I don't know. But some people have pinpointed that as a very pivotal scene to study. Um, it's like we know that Albus has a brother, and that was Albacore. Ab- Aberforth. Yeah, Aberforth. No, Albacore. Uh, Aberforth, all these names. Um, but it so it could have been like the moment when he was reflecting on his brother. It could have been Aberforth, not Aurelius. Yeah, but what harm did he cause Aberforth at this point in time? Like, whatever relationship he might have with Aberforth, however strained at this point in time, at least he's alive. Whereas, in some sense, with Aurelius, he, he, he might think him dead or not. I don't know. Dead or non-existent because he doesn't know that Aurelius is there. Yeah. Um, I haven't read. I, I want to go. I haven't read the full script yet, so I want to. I want to re- go back and read the script and get some of these answers. Yeah, comb through to. it. Goodness. Um, all right, let's shift gears and talk about Tina. Tina, the true love interest of of Newt, Newt. is really made a side character. Yeah, another one. Yeah, yeah, like. Newt's role becomes less than, like, and Tina's main, role becomes... The main four people in the first film are basically side characters in the second. Very much so. Queenie, Jacob. Queenie, Jacob, yeah. Newt. Newt. <laughs> All these people. Yeah, and it's interesting because we know now Newt is tracking Tina and she can travel everywhere. Newt's kind of limited, but that doesn't stop him. Um, so just this this tracking of Tina is literally taking us to places around. It's like these four people are taking us around the, the countries that we need to be. Yeah, and what's troublesome is that there's a whole rich history of things that happened in the six months since we last saw them together that we, we, we basically do a whole 180. When we leave them, they very much care for each other. And supposedly he wrote these crap letters. <laughs> yeah. And she she presumes that Lita is in love with Newt, but he's not actually in love with her. So then she makes that assumption, and now she starts calling him Mister Scamander. Mister Scamander. So and it's just like that that disconnection, that disassociation with, say, a, a confidant, a, a loved one, not really love, but you know, a, a close person. Um, just calling them entitled now is just so less personal. Yeah, I, I, I would like to see again. I would like to see a little bit of the backstory of what got us to here with them. You know, I, I, I know Newt's not the best with words, but it's kind of what she fell in love with in the first place was that he was so different. Yeah, he he was his own quirky character. Yeah, and he he he. What is the saying about drums? He he beats the drum of his own. <laughs> he marches to the beat of his own drum. That's the one. Yeah. I was like, it can't be drums to the beat of his own drum. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Um, yeah. But the thing is, so tracking Tina, like, Newt is only tracking Tina because she has come in, in contact with the other guys that Newt is trying to track. So it's like, eventually they, they had to meet up. Like, it's like mutual friends. You know this person or has crossed paths with this person, so I'm going to track you. So because if I can find you, you can find the person that I'm actually looking for. Well, to add to that layer, they end up getting entwined with Yusuf Kama. Mm-hmm. The man who is avenging for his father. Now, what's here's what I don't understand. Right, mm-hmm. so he has this curse, the unbreakable vow. He has to go forth and do this. But then, upon learning that, in fact, um, Corvius, I think, right, is that his name? Yes. The, the brother, the supposed brother of Leda, he is dead, and that's what breaks the curse. Now he didn't all of a sudden just die; he was always dead. Yeah. So the curse should be gone and done as soon as. The kid drowns. Yeah. What's the problem? So why is this still going? And why did we even have this subplot? I don't know. This is one, this is a story that could have easily been nixed and not affect anything. Yeah, because the problem is it's a red herring, but it's a, it, it's, it's a red herring that shouldn't be there. You know what I mean? Because it, it, it's null and void. Right. It, it's now we're following this guy who's trying to exact revenge or justice, whatever way you look at it, 
But now we have to follow him and his backstory. And we're like, how do you even fit? You don't. Yeah. And, okay, so I know we've been kind of nitpicking this movie. We're also asking questions and trying to break down the plot, which a lot of you guys are. But, but to a certain extent, we're being a little bit nitpicky, as you might tell. So let me kind of contextualize it, at least, and let, let me know if you disagree. The, the problem with all these subplots, when you have all of this, is that it negates the emotional attachment you do have towards your characters. So when Queenie and Jacob, they essentially split apart. Mm-hmm. Um, when Nagini and Credence make a decision to split apart. Um, and when Theseus and, and Newt have to t- split apart from when Leda makes her choice to go against Grindelwald and that happens. All these things are supposed to be big moments that unfortunately, because there's so many other like twists and turns, it's like, ooh, look at this, look at this, look right. at this, oh, and then this. It's just it's, it's too much, and it and it and it and it lessens your emotional connection because, by by sheer sheer kind of effect of all of it, these characters are on screen less, so therefore they're lessened in your heart. <laughs> I no, I completely agree because there are too many storylines and plots to follow. There is not enough time for us to emotionally engage with these relationships that are supposed to be building. And and so when we see the physical, actual breaking of bonds between each other because of the flames, it's not as impactful as it as it could have been. Yeah. Had they taken two to three storylines out, we might have had more time to focus on the relationships. For sure. I mean, Queenie and Jacob, like, they, they were a runaway hit in the original yeah, they were freaking cute. The movie, Fantastic Beast, the first one, ends on Jacob and Queenie. Literally, they're the last frame. And it cuts to black on those two. Like, they became essentially the main characters of that film. And then to break them up in the second one, yeah, it did kind of feel a little bit. But I should have felt more because this their relationship throughout this whole movie was kind of a lie slash tumultuous from the beginning because she had him under his spell. So I'm like, I don't know what to believe. Was it true love? Was it enchantment? I think there's I a true know. love, but he, uh, he, you know, he's protecting her, and that's why he doesn't go all the way. Right, and they hardly spend time on screen together. They're together maybe two scenes throughout this entire film. Yeah. And just just having Jacob run around and say, like, oh, I got to find Queenie. I love Queenie really doesn't necessarily do it for me. Like, yeah, but do you? Um, yeah. Well, speaking of, uh, I don't know how to interpret this relationship. Nagini and Credence. Nagini. So. But- yeah. The one Asian in this film has to be cursed. Of course. Of course. Of course. Well, she ends up being Damn. Voldemort's whole crux. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and and pet, which I mean, it's cool that they you actually give like Nagini kind of a backstory, but of course it has to be a tortured backstory. I'm like, darn it. Um, but she's you, cool, but also you feel for her because it's against her will. Yeah, I mean, here's kind of the way I view it. There better be good reasons these are the characters, rather than because we. You just said the word cool, right? I think it's very much that, oh, oh, wouldn't it be cool for all the fans if this was in there? And it's like, okay, but, but what purpose beyond that does it serve? Right. It, it, I think it's like the idea of when we see, when we first see Nagini in the first earlier movies, like you just see a cold-blooded snake. And then when you give it personality and humanize it a bit and we realize it's actually a woman who has feelings and a, and a broken backstory – you kind of feel for her a little bit, knowing that she was actually a nice person who just had crap happen to her, and you feel bad in that sense. But when you put them together, if you were to marathon all these movies now, it, it kind of makes Nagini in the earlier movies like less as scary. Yes and no. I mean, there's the, the notion being that uh, once she becomes a snake, I mean, who does she essentially talk to? Well. There's not a lot of people with parcel tongue. Parcel tongue. Uh, so, you know, when Tom Riddle comes along and he can speak this, you know, she gains a friend. Mm-hmm. And he gains one, too. And he can confide in her and so forth. And, and the relationship takes off from there. But but I think going back to the notion of lessening characters, right? Um, 
I think by shoehorning all this stuff in, anyone who one way or the other, if you if you haven't seen all the movies or if you have all seen all the movies, your mind starts turning in the moment and then therefore you're not focused on what's happening on screen as much because you're you're trying to make sense of it all. Well, how's it tie into Harry Potter? What does this mean? When it should become a horcrux and so forth. And I think and, and from a story perspective, as Nagini, what is she adding that let's say any other woman couldn't fulfill mm-hmm. for credence in terms of that plot now again there might be stuff later on down the line but 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 you got to service it a little bit better right it feels like she's just now we're giving again a character a person behind the snake someone to essentially connect to or relate to in, in that way um but also you just wonder because like Maybe she was just wronged so many times by men. Mm. I don't know. I, this sounds like a terrible generalization. But wronged just so many times. And, like, people always used her and exploited her her, her curse, quote-unquote. Um, that, unfortunately, like, at the end of the day, that's all she was left with. Because now she can't turn back into human form anymore. So she has to do the bidding of other people who, who use her curse. Mm-hmm. Because every time she's with Voldemort... She's always killing people that Voldemort wants her to do. It's like she's doing his bidding. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it just established she's been doing this for years. She's been doing things against her will for other people. Which I didn't... A magic really circus... Like, I, I don't know. I, I'm just kind of taken aback that there is a magic circus. I mean, do really... like The fact that we have transformations anyway, do, are people really that impressed that a woman can turn into a snake? Mm-hmm. Well, maledictus, that word. Um, this was a curse. Okay, but what's the difference between McGonagall turning into a cat and her turning into a snake? Well, it's McGon- still the same thing. Well, like, I understand yeah. magically there is a fundamental difference. Right. But as far as the ooh and the Just ah Just like the of transformation, it, I, I get that. It's like, oh, you're turning into something else. Cool or transfiguring what it, into something else. Yeah, I, I don't think like the appeal to that is all like that grandeur but the fact it's a curse makes it a little bit more <laughs> i just don't get it that's terrible. all yeah. i don't know i'd make a but crap again lizard. it's just the the whole theory of a circus like they're exploiting people against their will yeah um even how we got to that like i, I think nagini and credence there's a lot more scenes that were probably filmed that didn't end up on screen because just I think literally because of time wise, but but the fact that he goes up to her and they seem to have this long rich history. It's like, well, wh- when did he all of a sudden join the circus and like how did he develop this relationship? Mm-hmm. Um, and what would have been interesting, I think I, I can't say with a hundred percent certainty, but so far the the, the script um, that I've been reading includes no bonus features meaning there's no uh deleted scenes that and so forth i think they literally if it didn't make it into the movie they took it out of the script that they they're selling yeah it's a redacted um, script which by the way uh for just for full clarity this is a script that you can buy it's it's a book they very much want you to buy it mm-hmm. um so i bought it and but but the thing of it is it's very much what you see in the movie is what you get in the script so you get nothing different yeah, no the extra added Scenes that would have added more or answered more of our questions. Yeah. Hmm. I'd like to. I'd like to read it too. I'm curious. You should. I, I have the first one too. So, all right. Now that me and Marissa have <laughs> talked about books, uh, um, let's see. So much to talk about. Speaking of uh, another character that shows up that I wasn't expecting, Nicholas Flamel. I think one of the most unnecessary characters. So anticlimactic, in my personal opinion. Because when the whole first Harry Potter, it's all about Nicholas Flamel. They spent a whole third of the movie trying to track down who the heck this guy is. We find out he's finally the philosopher slash alchemist. And then when we actually visually see him in this movie, it was such a personal letdown because they built his character to be like such a mysterious, powerful, smart guy. And then when we see him in this film, he's such a caricature. You can't take him seriously. Like, how the heck are you alive 600 plus years? I don't believe you. Mm. Um, It's just, I don't know, maybe this is completely subjective, but I feel like 
he's the way that he was portrayed in the film is not how they built him up in the books. Fair enough. I mean, what what is factual is that the audience that I went to see it with, they laughed at his little jog. Right. So that was, whether intended or not, it was a moment of brevity for my audience. I don't know about for your audience. Well, people were laughing at the whole hand crushing every time because he's so yeah. old and fragile. Yeah, I get it. But he was just, he was laughable. Legitimately a comic comedic character when I think me personally just built him up as like he's a serious alchemist you don't mess with him he like he can outsmart and outtake all of you and then when you see him like oh I can break this guy in two yeah and here's the, the fact that he ended up being the key to preventing this fire dragon whatever we're gonna call it at the end like I understand I understand but it just it, again it just felt so shoehorned in that, uh, again, what, just what did it add more? I, I would have preferred one of our more main characters to be the one to, per, you know, stop him at this moment. All right. And he didn't really, in Flamel didn't really add much to the story. He was no. just there, like, yeah, he owned the safe house. That was it. It just so happened to be his. Well, he owned the safe house, and he saved the day at the end. Uh, th- that's my point. Why does Nicholas Flamel have to be the one to save the day at the end when we've seen him? That's the second time we're seeing him. Mm-hmm. It's just a little too much. Too much. Um, um, I mean, I, I like Flamel, but I don't think he was necessary, honestly. I think that was also another fan service. Way too Yeah. It's just yeah. way too much Again, fan service. Again, it's just also another character that we have to follow who doesn't add to the end result of the film or at least shouldn't yeah does but shouldn't but, like it doesn't add to the plot yeah all right well um i think for better or worse we've covered all the major storylines uh which mm. let me take a quick moment to encourage you uh i know we, we listen there's so much in this movie it's jam-packed we could talk about each of these for at least an hour, if not more, but we just simply don't have the time to. So that's kind of how we've covered it thus far. Let us know what you thought of each storyline, what storyline interests you the most. Anything, in essence, I'm saying this. Whatever you want to talk about, write in the comment section because at the end of the day, as much as me and Marissa and, and Dimitri, when he's here, talk about these movies, it's always great to converse with you and get to know your thoughts and opinions on it. All right. Let's talk about a couple of the other things um, that's a little bit more behind the scenes. First off, uh, Johnny Depp. Je- Depp. Depp. <laughs> <laughs> he has a lot of depth. Yeah, uh, he does. Uh, big controversy surrounding him going into this movie. And I just want to get your opinion on it. I don't know how little or right. not you follow this there's, stuff. There's controversy because of his history of with, you know, domestic violence. Yeah, um, with her, his ex-wife. Yeah, with ex-wife Amber Heard. Um, I know a little bit, but I don't really follow it that much. But to be fair, he was also in the first one. They did, you know, the the whole opening scene of the first Fantastic Beast is like, where's Grindelwald, yada, da, da, da. So they built up his <coughs> character already. So we knew he was going to be in the second one, despite whether what the hell is happening in Johnny Depp's personal life, what have you. Because it doesn't add as terrible as, like, domestic violence is i don't know much about it um but you should that's his personal life like detach yourself from that and just focus on his acting his performance i think he did a great job yeah i I, I think he did too um and he's a huge fan of the books meaning the the harry potter so Mm -hmm. uh he has a love it's not that he's just doing this for a paycheck which you can argue (laughs) it's harry potter so like, let's sign me up if you can. Yeah. <laughs> he, well, and but, we've, we've covered other movies with Johnny Depp where he clearly has done it for a paycheck. This one was more out of passion. More mm-hmm. out of respect and passion for J.K. Rowling's and the, the characters that she has built. Yeah, and I, I think he does actually pair very nice with Jude Law. I, th- I think, you know, seeing them and knowing that that's, that's where we're headed mm-hmm. um, in terms of all of this and they're the two strongest wizards if you will i like them together 
I, I like them together, and it was unfortunate we didn't have more time of these two main actors together on screen because we know they're like they're both talented in their own right, but to see it on screen would be great. And no. I think that they're saving that for the third. I think they're saving it for the fifth. Yeah, fifth. Listen, the war the, is coming. Or the eighth movie, if they're spreading it out to eight. Well, right now, I guess we'll, I'll cut out some I'm stuff not, and get right to the end. Well, and then we'll backtrack. So, um, as of right now, they're slated. F- the story will take place over five films. So, we're at, obviously, film two. Um, where we're building up to is the legendary duel between Dumbledore and Grindelwald. So, mm-hmm. um, by that notion, the blood pact is going to be... Broken. Uh, broken, yeah. Which was what, what Dumbledore and Newt were kind of thinking, like, can this be broken? <laughs> yes, it yeah. can. This little vial. Yeah. How, how do we destroy it? So, um, so that's where we're headed. So right now, we're only in 1927. we got to get to 1945 mm-hmm. is when the big battle happens. We still got, like, 20 more years. And only three movies. <laughs> yeah. How are we going to do that? We'll find out. Maybe we'll skip a couple of years in the next one. Who knows? Yeah. Fast forward, I imagine. But let's backtrack it. Let's talk about uh, David Yates, right? This guy, he... Kudos to him. He has been in this universe since two thousand and uh, at least two thousand four, um, because his first movie was Goblet of Fire, which was the fourth film, and he's been doing it ever since. So good for him to like stick with the same type of storyline in the same universe for more than ten years now. Yeah, and especially like you know, it's one thing to be like J.K. Rowling because it's her baby, you know, and she feels invested. Whereas him, not to say he's a hired gun necessarily, I'm sure he has now vested into it, but but when you're in, at the level that you have to do this at, you, you kind of worry about burnout, right? And that's why mm-hmm. people kind of, they, they do other things and so forth. But the fact that he's not and continues to enjoy and love this world, I think is a testament to him and, and kudos for his stamina. Yeah, absolutely. And now he's the, the longest running director within the series because... The first two was Columbus, and then we had Curran, and then Yates uh, since. So he's stuck around longer than all the other directors. And But it just shows like how passionate he is about these characters and the storylines that he sticks with them for so long. Absolutely. And he knows the universe, arguably, better than anyone else other than J.K. Rowling. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what's, what's interesting, like, he... the. You would think that maybe they would have gotten a new director simply because we're no longer in Hogwarts. This is very much – like that's a coming-of-age story in large part. This is oh, – yeah. they're, they're now adults. There's no coming-of-age. There's mm-hmm. now – we're building to war. This is a lot darker than those. So it's interesting tonally that he is able to make that shift, you know, because you, you, he might kind of – you would maybe think that he would go back to the well in some sense, but he's not. Right, and that's why I feel like the Fantastic Beast is more catered towards the adults now because when Harry Potter came out, it catered to kids. Kids. I was a kid when Harry Potter came out. I was the same age as Harry Potter in the film growing up until the fifth book, and then you know they took a while. Um, so it catered to the kids because you're growing up with Hermione and Ron and Harry, um, and this, this they're all adults in the Fantastic Beast, and but the people who are watching the movies now are the kids who were watching him when they were kids. Um, so, and like, and I get it. Now we're, we're, we are grown adults and we can follow adults now, not saying attacking into other adults, but it's an adult story against other adults. Absolutely. Um, the other interesting, so rather than shoot in, uh, in Paris, they essentially recreated Paris, which makes sense. Trust me, like Paris it's a very old city. They won't make you. They won't let you make any changes. And the, probably the types of filming that they wanted to do, it wasn't be conducive to towards that. Yeah, no. So good for them. Good for them. And and to build an entire like uh, basically all these sound stages, they have the money for it, and they did great because a lot of it is blue screen, green screen. It's a lot of it's visual effects. So they really only need like certain just facades of things. And then the rest is actually filled with VFX. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, what's great is that obviously with each new movie, it just looks better and better in terms of the visual effects. So I applaud them there. Absolutely. 
All right, let's let's kind of cut to the chase and uh, talk about numbers. All right. Um, so this movie came out last Friday, so November sixteenth. For those of you in our timeline, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, if you're in the future or anything like that, now you know. Um, and it had a budget production budget of two hundred million. I'm sure the marketing campaign alone was probably a hundred million for this. A lot. Um, but no worries because. It makes its money back. Um, overall, so far, right now, uh, a, a, a worldwide gross of two hundred fifty million, give or take. So slowly but surely, right? And that's just in seemingly five days. Less than that. Today's four Tuesday. Days. Yeah, four days. We're the, we're the twentieth now. Um, so to to make his money back, I mean, I honestly didn't think financially it was going to be a tank because. WB does so great with the Harry Potter franchise. We already had the fan base. We knew another film was going to come out from the first one. So this has been a long time coming. And everyone was just excited to see all these characters back again. So I I wasn't at all in any doubt that it was going to tank financially. Yeah, and I think it'll also build up going into uh, with Thanksgiving weekend. You know, I think I think you've got Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and the whole weekend. So um, it's only going to ramp up. How much it does, I don't know. Now, interestingly enough, like it's it's got forty percent on Rotten Tomatoes and a B plus Cinema Score, which um, isn't the worst Cinema Score, but it's also not the best. Yeah, and forty's pretty low for a Rotten Tomato Score. Pretty low for uh, a Wizarding World Universe movie. That's low. Yeah, as the as as Rotten Tomatoes reads, Fantastic Beasts: The Crimes of Grindelwald has glimmers of magic familiar to Harry Potter fans, but the story's spell isn't as strong as earlier installments. So, uh, yeah, I kind of agree with that, Mo- mostly because there are too many storylines to follow. We as an adults had a hard time following it. Yeah, kids and teenagers, I guarantee you, aren't going to follow it. Here's... It feels like a, a a misguided episode of a TV series, but with a TV series, you can wait one week and then you're fine. Mm-hmm. Here we got to wait till 2020, theoretically, right? Um, that right as of right now, November 20th, 2020 is when we're gonna get Fantastic Beasts three. That could change. It could be earlier, probably unlikely. It could be later, probably more likely, or they'll just. You know, stick to the date, which is also highly likely as well. Right. Regardless, it's going to be two years. Yeah. And the first one came out around Thanksgiving time as well. So it makes sense that the second one came out at the same time of the year as well. Because this is the time when families goes to see films. Yeah. If nothing else, this movie succeeded in making me anxious to know what the hell happens. Mm -hmm. So I guess you create a very good cliffhanger. Kudos there. Yeah. And have now forced me to spend. If it it wasn't even because of this movie, like anatomy of a movie is one thing, but like this movie literally forced me to watch every online video about Harry Potter, the ending explained, and so forth. Because I'm like, what does it mean? Right. I had to rewatch Fantastic Beasts, the first movie, and I only got halfway through it, um, just to like kind of recap what happened and some of the characters and. But honestly, like the first one does a great job of setting up like who's who, and this one, yeah, also now have to remember. Oh yeah, now now that you know who everyone is in the first one, now they just double the cast by two, three times. And you're yeah. like, crap. Now who are these guys? Yeah, it's well, a big an ensemble film. Luckily, I think this is all the characters we're gonna get. I don't mm-hmm. think the third, fourth, or fifth will add any more. I Minor sure ones, not. but not major ones. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I sure hope not, because seriously, we, we in the first one, we only follow maybe five people, like, mm-hmm. consistently. And this one, we're following, like, 10, 12. Yeah, I mean, we, we're following we, have, we have our four main characters. We have Graves, which is really Grindelwald, and we have Credence. Those yeah. are our people. And so we, six. And we also have Nagini. We had Lita. Well, in this had, one, yes. Yeah, in this one, like uh, I'm, that's what I'm saying. This this second film, they doubled the cast. Yeah. Which. All right. Final thoughts on Fantastic Beasts. I had the... to watch this again to really understand it even more. 
Yeah, I, I, here's what it comes down to. Marvel movies and these universe movies, I shouldn't work this hard to understand or enjoy this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's just the shifting of the times, but maybe a simple previously on would do. Um, that's my conclusion. Anyway, right. you can d- agree, disagree, whatever you want, expand. Please let us know your comments. Uh, truly, truly, I, I am... Oddly obsessed with this movie because of how many questions it asks. I'm sure you are. And so let's ponder together, shall we? Yes. Uh, if you guys want to interact directly with us and wish us a happy Thanksgiving or whatnot, hey, at Serafini TV. That's right. I'm at Phil Svitek. This is the Popcorn Talk Network. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we've got a lot of, lot of stuff going on. Today we'll be covering Widows as well. Then we will not be here this Friday. But after that, we've got... Creed 2. Creed 2. Woo, I'm we've seeing got, it tonight. <laughs> um, uh, we've got Instant Family. There's just so many movies down the pipeline. So next week, in fact, we will be doing four movies. A Tuesday tapings and Friday tapings. What I mean <laughs> to say is, just keep checking back in, because we've got it all. Bye. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.